Welcome to episode 1.4 of part 1, Reconciliation of the Warp and Wolf. I'm your host, Grover Elliott, and next I'm covering my fourth defining characteristic, I am a father. My wife and I are so-called empty nesters, but we have four wonderful children. They are better than yours, just as I hope yours are better than ours, in your eyes. I brought two of them into the world and acquired two by marriage. We're a mixed bag of nuts, a blended family. My wife's kids were a little older, so I wasn't around for their most formative years. We'll see if that's good or bad. But I was around for my kids' most formative years. We'll see also if that's good or bad. I'm kidding, of course. Look, all us parents, we parents, big and small alike, parents of all shapes and sizes, we're just flying by the seat of our parents. With the, with the best of intentions, at least the ones I consider to be good parents, no matter the situation you find yourself in as a parent, it's the first time you've been in that situation. Whether it's a planned first child or one that arose after a night of high passion and low responsibility, anyone who has two children knows that the first one does little to prepare you for having an additional one. And so on for stepmoms and stepdads, the prepared and the scared, the adopting and the adapting. Parenting is hard, hard work. Probably a tie with marriage, though you are a parent forever. When I got married the first time, our vows included that till death do us part clause. But during our multiple family court appearances, I realized that marriages can end. It's divorce that is forever. But so is being a parent. Once you are a parent, you will always be a parent, no matter the relationship you have with your children. And, and I know from watching my grandmother, it doesn't matter if a child precedes you in death. You are still that child's parent. Heavy stuff, I know. I know. It, it's the way I see it, and I think it's the way it should always be, though I know it isn't. At this point, you may have picked up that these first four characteristic traits also represent my loyalties in order. I have to be an individual in order to be anything else. It's like them telling you on the airplane that you should put your oxygen mask on first. Then I have my moral guide, my faith. My wife is my partner in this life. The two of us together against all else, an arrangement we entered into voluntarily and so must be committed to it, both of us. I realize I changed partners mid-stride, but, but the best laid plans of man and wife and all that, right? I still have to have the same level of commitment. Anyone who has been through it before, as both Mrs. Elliot and I have, can attest to how important and difficult it is to open up and have that same level of commitment and trust the second time, the third, fourth, or whatever your math may be, once bitten and whatnot, right? And then there are my children, all of them. None of them came here by choice, either into my world or into my life, as it were. The commitment was mine, not theirs. In a perfect world, their commitment is as strong as mine, but it is certainly not an obligation. I believe a, a parent's love for a child is about as close to unconditional love as humans can get here on earth. A dog's love for its owner is unconditional, and that's truly magical, but it's not human. 
I know I'll forever be working to earn the level of love every dog I ever owned had for me. I was never good enough to them. Look, my intent is not to make this all sappy, but talking kids and dogs can do that. Anyway, the, the point is that my family, all of it, is more important to me than anything else you hear me talk about through the rest of part one. My level of loyalty is still strong for the rest, but changes fundamentally after this one. So why do we have kids? There are, of course, any number of reasons that people have kids, planned and unplanned. As I mentioned previously, in a world full of hardships and not yet full of people, there was a need to procreate prodigiously. Families still reproduce for those reasons, so I'm not sure that it's so very critical at this point in human development. I mean, not only are there plenty of us, even in underdeveloped areas, there are more efficient ways to produce the needs for life without just throwing masses of people at the problems. From waging war to harvesting crops, we need fewer boots on the ground, as it were, to get the same things accomplished. Now, I know that so-called nation planners may disagree with this, keeping a tight record on the mortality rate of populations as they do. That can be important for populations that are dwindling, but in a melting pot such as ours, finding a new supply of people is never a problem. And if you think immigrants are taking over the country, <laughs> well, you're 400 years too late. People coming into this country does not destroy it. Allowing them to do so while rewarding them for not assimilating will, but not their mere presence. Above that, there's the tax base to think about, but the ones in charge of collecting those taxes are understandably more concerned than those who are having their earnings confiscated for programs too numerous to fathom. And if it is your belief that you must go forth and multiply so that your people can spread the word and influence of your God more effectively and broadly, making babies is not going to do it. Every poll shows that religion, a belief in an all-powerful being, is becoming less popular and less common every day. And in which generations? Well, the younger generations, the very ones you think you should add to in order to fix the problem. You may actually be watering down the flock, You'd be better off writing a sitcom for Adult Swim that contains hidden religious and moral messages in it, like the Mike Tyson mysteries. Okay, I don't mean to make light of it, but truly the go forth and multiply was when there were lands to conquer for a particular god, seemingly. Though I think that generally was a scumbag using that religious zealotry to get people to kill for his own power and glory. But hey, I'm not here to start a religious war. If you want to bring more people to your God in a world that is filled with people and in a world whose complete landscape has been claimed by some entity or other, be a better example to your fellow man. Flies and honey. And while pretty much every war in history has been fought over land, and while pretty much every war in history has been fought over land, religions or ideologies wanting to control more land and people, producers, future wars are more likely to be fought over capital. It's more valuable and costs less than to keep slaves alive. Why kill and die for land when you can cash in by owning the mortgage 
or use and abuse your own population in order to skew the costs and means of production, thus becoming a natural vacuum for wealth with which your country can make real estate deals in another country. Sounds like a plausible scheme. Somebody ought to try it. (laughs) Whoops. Another rabbit hole. Sorry, back to our story. Today, in this country, in my opinion, there is only one true ethical reason to have children. Because life is going so well, you and your mate want to share it with someone else. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against procreation. Though, like most men, I like the dress rehearsal a whole lot better than the actual show. And I know you've been told you have to carry on the family name if you're a boy. Or maybe if you're a girl. or I don't know. What, what does carrying on the family name even mean unless you're a Kennedy or a Kardashian? My family name has changed a whole lot over the centuries at about half the branches. Going forward, one of my kids will continue to carry it. But the other one will change when she gets married, probably. And what if the boy doesn't have kids? I have an uncle who is the last person carrying his family name. Does that make me sad? No, not really. Because if we went further back in the family tree, we'd find a whole other branch with that name that we never knew. It doesn't really matter. What matters is who he is and how he has influenced me and the other family members and friends around him. I don't long to spend time with a family name. I want to spend it with a person, an individual, or a number of them. Now, to that missing branch of the family, if you're super rich, look me up. We really need to get together. The point is, being a parent is about giving to the ones you bring into and eventually will turn loose on the world. Make sure you are in the best place you can be before taking on that responsibility. And to those who think having a child will save your relationship, nothing could be further from the truth. And you know it deep down. It's the equivalent of someone in deep financial trouble thinking that going to a loan shark in order to buy more lottery tickets will put them back on top. Kids are never here for you. Well, hopefully to act as pallbearers at least. But having kids is about them, never about you. You are here for them, not the other way around. You make the choice, not them. You take on the burden, not them. You have to be prepared. Because they never are. Life can be a beautiful experience, full of wonder and discovery, filled with love and dreams. It can also be quite the opposite. Do you really think bringing a child into the world and charging it with solving a pre-existing problem is a recipe for success? Is it fair? They're not here to fulfill your life. You are here to fulfill theirs. Do something yourself to fulfill your own unrealized goals. Don't try to do it through a young, inexperienced proxy. Don't hover over them, control them, and lead them on a choker. Let them win and lose and search for themselves. It was never my job to raise my kids to be just like me. Besides the whole nature versus nurture argument, will it the very least result in them being who they are going to be? My role and that is both balanced and limited. It was my duty, as it is every parent's duty, to expose my children to as many different experiences as I could 
so that they were better prepared to choose their own path in life and to enlightenment. That being said, I did need to pass on my principles and morals to them. The code of the Woosters must carry forth, after all. If they stray from it, I hope that they do so to improve upon it. But I am obliged to get them started on the right path, because without guidance, they can be lured or pushed onto any path. Rush Limbaugh used to refer to kids as young minds full of mush. Whether you loved or loathed him, I think Mr. Limbaugh was right on that count. And history backs him up. One needs to look no further than the Nazi party to see the truth in that. The word Nazi, from the German for National Socialism, is thrown around way too often these days in our society. A Nazi seems to be anyone who disagrees with you politically in the modern lexicon. It's a disgusting and thoroughly irresponsible way to diminish the value of lessons that we can and should all learn from one of the evilest groups to have ever existed on the planet. One of the most important lessons we should learn from Nazism is how a nation can be stolen and destroyed from within through children, those young minds full of mush. Adolf Hitler knew much about human nature. He took advantage of economic and leadership vacuums in post-World War I Germany to chase his own megalomaniacal goals. And it worked incredibly well. For the isolationists out there, the folks who are categorically opposed to so-called nation-building, post-World War I Germany and World War II and the lessons learned from them are why we continue to try to nation-build. Now, that isn't a blanket defense of the practice, but it is something to think about, especially now that the Taliban is banning women from universities again. But Hitler recognized that tomorrow only exists through the children. And so he and his evil henchmen devised the Jugendbund, the Hitler Youth. This was created in 1922. It was seen as so critical for the future of the Nazi party that it was preceded only by the Sturmabteilung, the SA. This isn't meant to be a history lesson on the Nazi party. It's your job to educate yourself and your kids on that subject. But suffice to say, the Nazi party quickly had control over an entire generation of otherwise peaceful Germans. The Jugendbund started as an apparent club for kids, teaching them things like hiking and camping and sports. In school, they were told repeatedly that they, German-born non-Jews, Aryans, were superior to anyone else in the world, that Adolf Hitler and Germany would return them to the top. What small, powerless child wouldn't be drawn to that? Concerning his Star Wars movies, George Lucas observed that kids were initially attracted to Darth Vader because of his great power and their complete lack of it. This, of course, was no accident in design. That's why he called Darth Vader's soldiers stormtroopers and modeled the officer uniforms after those of the Nazi party. As the Jugendbund developed, Nazi party officials no longer needed permission from parents to instruct their children. In fact, they were conscripted, forced into the organization, and eventually marched into the death machine of war. Children, brainwashed, 
willing to kill and die for an evil dictator known as De Führer, a god to them. Read the accounts of survivors. This isn't the plot to a sci-fi movie. This was the reality for an entire generation and nation lost to the whims of a despot. Dip your toes into the subject by watching the brilliant movie Jojo Rabbit. Then let your curiosity run wild and seek more and darker forms of information. And for those who think comedy, dark or otherwise, is no way to treat the evil Nazi regime, I like to reflect on Mel Brooks's position. He said that he would never have the opportunity to physically fight Adolf Hitler, but through comedy, he can make him a laughingstock, a sad joke on humanity, thus destroying his legacy. Some might say, especially and sadly today, but that was Germany and it was a long time ago. That was yesterday or tomorrow. It can happen again, a million times larger or in millions of smaller ways. The defensive line is parents, you and me. Adults complain about and dump on the younger generations about how dumb they are, soft, ignorant of the world, snowflakes. Perhaps they always have. But I sure don't remember the vitriol ever being this bad. It's just another artificial division that has been created through institutions convincing parents and kids that they have no relationship with one another. Kids know what they know because we taught them or allowed them to be instructed. I was a Captain Kangaroo, Sesame Street, and Mr. Rogers kid. Of course, those only hold your attention for so long. From there, it was on to shows like the Looney Tunes, the Andy Griffith Show, the Monkees and the Munsters, and church every Sunday. What did all of these influences have in common? Their messages were inclusivity, acceptance, and a clear line between good and bad right and wrong. Deep complexity of ideas is great entertainment for the mature viewer, but don't start your five-year-old out on All in the Family or CSI or Yellowstone. Your kids aren't your movie-watching buddies any more than your spouse is. I still can't get Mrs. Elliot after all these years to sit and watch Lonesome Dove with me in one sitting. In her defense, I've never not fallen asleep during one of her movie night choices. But that's okay. We're adults and can handle and properly process most of what is on television. The exception is the plethora of garbage spinoffs of The Gong Show, American Idol, Everyone's Got Talent, Lip Syncing for Losers. Does Chuck Barris's estate get royalties from these? Sorry, another rabbit hole. Monitor what your children watch. That means sit down and watch what they watch, not the other way around. My kids watched Barney and Friends. Yes, vacuous, but positive. They watched the Rugrats. Hey, thank you to the producers of that show for throwing in the occasional adult joke. It flew over my kids' heads, but at least, you know, it gave me some level of entertainment. I didn't let them watch Disney works, with very few exceptions. Because Disney was all about promoting belching and passing gas as entertainment, and they wrote all adults as idiots. I don't need an entertainment company or any organization telling my children adults are morons and thus undermining my authority as a parent. Isn't that what the Hitler Youth was all about? 
nor do I need schools doing that. But here we are. I hear parents complain constantly about the poor state of education in this country, that schools are not teaching what they should be teaching. But whose fault is that? It's ours. We let it happen. We rolled over and trusted the nationalized education system to teach our children all they needed to know. We're trying to do something about it now at the 11th hour, but stop before you accuse me of somehow being anti-education. I am anything but. What I am against is education in the absence of good parenting. Education, even organized at a national level as opposed to local, is a good thing. It's what helps establish minimum standards expose children to ideas that are otherwise foreign to their community. Have you ever lived somewhere where people are proud of having never left their grandfather's zip code? I have. It always makes me wonder why they never ask themselves, how did granddad get to this zip code anyway? <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with loving and staying true to your roots. But see the world. Get a glimpse of what is out there. If it doesn't appeal to you, move back. But that exposure is what gives us new ideas and goals. It familiarizes us with the unknown, thus reducing fear of it. It helps eliminate things like racial, ethnic, and geographical prejudice. A classically liberal education can bring healthy, new ideas to children who otherwise might not have access to them. But an unchecked education system can also be used to the opposite effect. Where do we get our ethos, our standards, our moral guides? They are learned. Personally, I'm an optimist and I believe man is basically good. But that may just be a result of my upbringing as a Christian who has been taught that the Holy Spirit came to us after Christ's resurrection. I obviously don't believe man always does good things. I just believe that that nagging voice of conscience down inside you merely needs help making it to the surface to breathe. Whether or not I'm right or wrong about that, people need to be taught to think good thoughts and do good acts. Children will pick up thoughts and behavior from somewhere. Do you trust it to come from television or movies or school? The fact is that it comes from all of those and more. But it is our job as parents to monitor all of those sources. Media, television, radio, movies can deliver some twisted messages. I already touched on those rather unrealistic expectations about love and relationships. Then there are the actors that eschew gun violence while cashing in on multi-million dollar contracts to promote that very thing on screen. Hypocrisy at its worst. Schools can have their own agendas. To the extreme was the Nazi party, goose-stepping over the parent-child relationship. In 1937, Hitler declared, This Reich stands, and it is building itself up for the future, upon its youth. And this new Reich will give its youth to no one, but will itself take youth and give to youth its own education and its own upbringing. Again, excuse the uh, accent there. <laughs> Nazism gets thrown around to the point that the lessons are diminished. Or, or people just scoff and say, here we go again with exaggeration. But look at the politicalization of schools today. 
primary school children being exposed to drag shows, teenagers being convinced of the practicality of abortion, prepubescent children being coached into believing they are the wrong gender, all under the argument that it is right this should proceed without the parent's consultation, consent, or even knowledge. Hmm, exaggeration? And before you red staters stand up and holler, right on! One of my favorite movies is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, full of drag and transgender confusion. My opinion on abortion, when revealed in full, will likely be as unsettling to Catholic priests as it will be to pro-choice adherents. Gender floaters? I side with individual rights, so your efforts to coerce the insecure into body modifications or force others to abolish the rules of language? You'll find no sympathy here. Sorry, but not sorry. When my children were in school, every day that I was able, I asked them, what did you learn in school today? The purpose of this was not to tell them that their teacher was wrong or school was bad or the government shouldn't be trusted. Okay, maybe, maybe that last one slipped through every once in a while. My son got in trouble for the first time with his teacher in third grade for declaring that taxation is theft. I was so proud, mainly because I didn't see why on earth third graders were talking about taxation, but also because he didn't just blindly accept anything and everything that came out of his teacher's mouth. We did have a subsequent conversation discussing the differences between appropriate taxation and confiscation, but the idea that Everything a teacher says is true without independent verification is ultimately as much a disservice to the child as telling them to ignore school. And if you are a teacher out there who is truly dedicated to teaching our children, building adults from these skulls of mush, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I saw many of your co-workers in school they usually wash themselves right out of other majors and into elementary education or some other closely related party major. It wasn't a calling, but rather a fallback, which explains why most of us have so few teachers to count as inspirations. But thank you to those few. I know you made a huge difference in my life. You count and you are grossly underappreciated. You had me read The Lord of the Flies. This book, which may be too violent and dark for today's young adults, packages the inhumanity of following orders and groupthink for, for school children. This is an incredibly important lesson for any child living in, well, any country. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, banned because of its employment of a word that is, quite frankly, ubiquitous in every other form of media, used as a source of reverse elitism or misguided pride aimed against an element of racism that has otherwise been erased from modern civilized American society, that banning is ludicrous and damaging. The story involves a white orphan, an undesirable, looking up to a black man, a freed slave, as not only a friend, but a father figure. That outcast, Huck, damns himself to a perceived hell, both figurative as an outcast from society and literally as he understands God will damn him, rather than turn his back on a fellow human being. 
Is there a more noble message for children? Yet, with its banning, you are confusing children by telling them that the word is racist and thus the act is erased. And while they are bombarded by that very word everywhere else from peers to, well, frankly, other peers, the, the concepts of the book are lost. That Huck felt he was a sinner because he was going against society in looking up to Jim as a friend, as a father figure. And that Huck decided to continue being a sinner rather than turn his back on a fellow human. This was 21 years after emancipation, but still an incredibly blunt statement to make. And we've erased the message. The message of love for your fellow human being. The unalienable value. Of the individual. No matter the best intentions of avoiding discomfort or alienation in the classroom, if a teacher is incapable of teaching the moral lesson spelled out in the book, should that teacher be entrusted to pass on our hard-won moral lessons? Or should we instead erase history? Groups, committees, and school boards are clearly incapable of making these decisions. Only parents are. And I hope that you do. Kids will pick up life's lessons somewhere. You are in the best position to start them out on the right path. If you're a new parent or considering it in the future, you will screw this up. We all do. I mean, we're all newbies at some point, and we're flying blind most of the time. We just do the best we can. My parents did the best they could, and I am thankful for everything they passed on to me. I've tried to put those lessons to good use as a father and, and pass them down to my kids. I can't pass down every lesson from every generation, so we all just pass down what we see as our priorities the best we can. Our kids will sort them the best they can, as long as you give them lessons to sort. And that's my goal as a father, to be the best and most dependable I can be to get my kids started from somewhere above ground zero in this life, to teach my kids to love reading, to learn, to question, to think for themselves, to become individuals. Next, I will talk about one of my favorite subjects, being a Texan. This I share with all Texans. Texans.